Well, the name of my message today is Calling All Warriors. And I thought that was interesting because I don't know if my wife knew the name of my, the title of my message, and that's what she did a moment ago. And so I just know the Lord is confirming what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to call us men out. You know, um, society needs us men. You know, last year I read some statistics. I'm not going to go through all that again. But if you look at all the statistics of social ills, uh, it all points back to fatherlessness. So when fathers are absent, a lot of things happen. A lot of negative things happen. And so men, you are definitely needed. Amen? So the name of this message is Calling All Warriors. And so I'm calling you guys out today, just reminding you of your identity, of who you are. And so that we'll quit believing the lie of the enemy. But I want to talk about one of my favorite warriors, and I'm sure that most, if not all of us, are familiar with him. His name is David. King David, as we know in the Old Testament, was a very bad dude when it came to fighting, and we all know that. David and his mighty men, and, and he was surrounded by men. Uh, the Bible calls it uh, David's mighty men, 30. There were 37 of these warriors in all, 37 of these men. Now, we're familiar with what David did his exploits. We're familiar with him fighting the lion and the bear, one of them with his bare hands. And then we're very familiar with him taking down the Goliath, right? We all remember that? And there's all kinds of exploits that David did, and so much so that, that uh, now we know that Saul was a pretty powerful man, King Saul, but it, David's reputation got to be where the ladies would begin to sing, and they would sing songs like, Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And that's one reason why Saul became jealous, because David got more accolades and props than he did. But David was a bad man as far as, when I mean bad, I mean good. But you know what I mean, right? I don't have to explain that. He was awesome. And the men that he surrounded himself with, his mighty men, were also incredible warriors. I'm not going to ex- try to pronounce their names, because I tried that last night, and it didn't go so well. But I'm going to say, this one guy... Um, he took out 800 men with his spear by himself. He fought 800 men by himself on the battlefield. Another guy, one of David's men, took out 300 men. Um, one guy went down into a pit and killed a lion, and he also killed, an, uh, I guess, a giant Ethiopian with his own spear. And so in these guys, when you read, you can read about these exploits in 2 Samuel 23. When you read about David and his men and these guys, they did amazing exploits. They were powerful, mighty warriors. And I want to ask you men, can you think of anybody, any, any enemy that David would have been afraid to face? I mean, if, if someone said, David, there's the enemy over there, they're coming to get us, what was David going to do? He says, point me in the right direction. I mean, there was nobody we could think of that David was not afraid to face. And I kind of thought in my man brain last night, I wonder what a fight would look like between David and Samson. Okay, never mind, never mind. Um, so there was no one that David was afraid to stand before, or was there? Was there somebody that David was intimidated by? And that's what I want to talk about today. This is what I believe the Lord's wanting to encourage and challenge us with. There was a time when David, you know, he had a number of wives and he had some children. He had sons and daughters. And three of them that I want to talk about, he had a son named Absalom. He had a son named Amnon. And he had a daughter named Tamar. 
Now, these aren't the only sons he had. Also, he also had Solomon, but we're not talking about Solomon right now. And he had other, other sons that it, it states. But anyway, there was a time when, now, since David had different wives, these sons of his had different uh, mothers, but the same father. So they were related by father, but different mothers. And so David, uh, excuse me, Absalom had a sister named Tamar, and I believe they were a whole brother and sister. And then he had a half-brother named Amnon. And so Amnon and Tamar were half-brother and sister. And it says that Amnon was, fell deeply in love, I mean passionately in love with Tamar. I mean so much so he was so in love with her that he was sick. And one of his friends, he was walking around moping around because he was so in love with this lady. And his friend said, man, why is the king's son walking around looking so gloomy? And he says, man, it's my sister Tamar. I'm just so in love with her. I got to have her, basically. And as we can all imagine, it really wasn't love, but it was what? It was lust, definitely. So anyway, his friend helped him concoct a story to get his sister to come into his home. He said, hey, pretend like you're sick. Ask your dad, David, to allow your sister to come and, and fix a meal for you, and then boom. And so he did that. He asked his sister Tamar to come in, and she fixed a meal for him. He said, well, bring it into my room, and she brought it into his room because he was sick, supposedly. And then we know the story that he, he violated his sister. And it says as soon as he did that, the passion, the love that he had for her turned to hatred, which shows you that it was lust to begin with. It wasn't love. It was lust. So as soon as he did what he did, he had hatred for her, and he kicked her out. He kicked her out. And then um, she ran to her brother, Absalom, and he said, did he do this to you? And she said, yes. So he took her and he took his sister in and took care of her. And it says, David heard of it and became angry. David heard of it and became angry and he did nothing. He did nothing. David's son violated David's daughter. He became angry and did nothing. Is there anybody that David was afraid to stand in front of? A couple of years later, so Absalom decided he was going to take vengeance. He was going to do something about this. Took his sister in. Two years later, Absalom sets up a, store or a situation to invite all of his brothers to come to a party. He tells his men, when my brother Amnon is uh, drunk, take him out. He says, don't worry about it. I take full responsibility, so don't be afraid. So he got drunk. The men killed him. And then, of course, Absalom fled because he knew his daddy was going to get him. Because remember, his dad was the most fierce warrior that these guys knew. I mean, David was mighty. Absalom took off. And David did nothing. David did nothing. Now, he grieved when he found out that his son was killed by his other son. He grieved. And then it says, after he, after he had his time of grieving, he longed for and missed his son Absalom. But he didn't do anything. So Absalom ran to his grandfather's house and lived with him for three years. And then finally, Joab, one of David's commanders, his, one of his mighty warriors, he basically told David, dude, you got to have your son back. This isn't, this isn't right. And so he finally talked David into, I mean, this is a long story, but David agreed to bring his son home. So Absalom was allowed to come back home, but he was not allowed to see his father. So three years he was gone. He came home. And for two more years, David, he was not allowed to see his dad. David didn't see him. So five years goes by. Daughters, uh, seven years ago, his daughter was violated. 
His son was murdered, and then his son comes home, and David still does nothing. And then finally, Absalom does something to provoke Joab, and Joab says, you need to reconcile with your son. So David and his son kind of, sort of, reconciled. Then after that, David, he gets horses and chariots, and he goes out, and he begins to, as people come to the kingdom for uh, judgments, they need someone, the king, to work out their cases and everything. Uh, Absalom will stop and say, hey, tell me what's going on. And he says, you know, if, my, if I were a judge, I would take care of you. I'd give you justice. And so when the people would try to bow down before him, he'd say, oh, no, you don't need to do that. He would kiss their hand. He would say, you know, if I were king, I would really take good care of you. He did that, I believe, for four years. So he stole the hearts of the people. The people became loyal to Absalom. And then he did a, a situation, making a long story short. Next thing you know, he, they crown him king, thinking they, people get duped, and they crown Absalom king. David hears about it and realizes, we have to get out of here because he's going to come and kill me. So David and some people, they take off. And then uh, later on, there's a war, that, a fight that breaks out. Absalom gets killed in the midst of it. And then David gets the kingdom back. And so after a while, everything is restored. He's the king again. But in the midst of that, he loses his son, Abnon, who was murdered by his other brother. His daughter was violated, and then Absalom was killed in the whole conflict because David didn't do anything. The most mighty warrior that we read about in the Bible, not afraid of anybody, any nine-and-a-half-foot giant, he would take him down. But when it came to his own kids, he was terrified. He was intimidated. It's like, what in the world? And I've heard about this, I read about this, and I do understand this being a father to a certain extent. Why is it that you can have mighty generals? I couldn't think of the name of a, of a famous general. I was trying to look it up, but I couldn't remember his name. So when you say, Google, find me a general. I don't know the name. It doesn't go too well. So, but there's some famous general that if I said the name, we'd all know who he was. Very famous, powerful war general, and he had a bad relationship with his son. And I can't remember the story. Was it? MacArthur. MacArthur. Is that him? I wish I, now if I, let me, no, just kidding. But uh, didn't have a good relationship with his son. Bad father. Why is it that generals, CEOs of companies, I know men who are high-level execs, six and seven-figure income, making deals of millions of dollars, successful, but yet their families are falling apart? What about pastors of megachurches or even minor churches? Successful ministers preaching the gospel, people getting saved, people getting healed and delivered and all the cool stuff that we want, and their families are falling apart, their kids want to have nothing to do with them, and their wives leave them. Why is it that you can have men who can be successful in all these arenas Powerful, fierce men on the battlefield or whatever arena they're in, but yet they, their families are falling apart. Intimidation. For some reason, there's this intimidation that we can stand before a giant and take him down, but when it comes to our kids, we become afraid. And brothers, I'm calling you out today as mighty warriors to remind you of your true identity, that you are fierce, that you are gifted. 
You are so needed in society. You are needed in your homes. And the Lord wants to remind you of who he's called you to be. So we can, so whatever level we're believing or giving into the intimidation, we shake it off and say, no, that's not who I am. That's not who he's called and equipped me to be. I'm going to be the man of God that my sons, my daughters, and my wife needs me to be. Amen? I want to talk about four things to be in the mighty warrior your family needs. Four things. Number one, love the gift that the Father has given you. Now, talking about you, you married men. Love the gift that the Father has given you, and that would be your wife, in case you didn't figure that one out yet. Love your wife. Proverbs 19, 14 in the Passion Translation says, You can inherit houses and land from your parents, but a good wife only comes as a gracious gift from God. Your wife is a gracious gift from God. A good wife is a gracious gift from God. You want to know the definition of a good wife? The woman you're married to. Good answer, huh, ladies? It's a good one. The good gift, the precious gift that God gave you is your wife. And we are called to love her. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. We are called to love our wives and not just love them as we're pursuing them to get the prize. Okay, they said yes, they say I do. We got the prize, we win our wives, and then we just coast through life. That's what too many men do. They say, I got the girl, now we can hang out and I can just coast to life and, and pursue other things. When we become married, when we capture her with our love, when we capture her, that's the beginning of your pursuit. That's the beginning of the real pursuit. And it's time for us to love and cherish her. And I'm not talking about just throwing her, her a bone every once in a while and just being nice to her when you want something. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about cherishing her when you know you ain't getting nothing. How come only the ladies are clapping? Am I on? We need to love our wives. That's what it talks about, conditional love. Loving them, especially... Now, I know I'm being a little candid, and that's okay, especially when you know nothing's happening tonight, <laughs> when that's already been established for whatever reason. Men, that's when you pursue her. That's when you're nice to her. That's when you go after her. That's when you flirt with her. That's when you do all kinds of rated PG things, since we got kids in here, things. <laughs> you love her, and you cherish her to show her, honey, it's not about anything but my love for you. And you love her, and you love her, and you pursue her. Flirt with your wife often in front of the kids. Often in front of your kids. Let your kids know that you are crazy about their mom. They need to know that. That, you know, let the kids roll their eyes and like, oh, that's so gross. Let them do that. <laughs> because they may be seen on the outside, but on the inside, they're like, I'm so glad my daddy loves my mom. The best way, men, you can make your kids secure is to let them know that you love their mom. 
Studies show that brings the most security in a child is when they know mommy and daddy are okay. Because what they face in society, what they, I mean, even little first and second graders at school, how many of their children come from broken homes? And so when they're around that often, they can begin to think, well, when are my mommy and daddy going to go away or break up? And so and if you're not treating your wife like the Lord is telling us to treat them, then you're causing even more insecurity. So you want to deal with that insecurity? You love your wife. You flirt with her. You go after her. Men, treat her with tenderness. I know some of us men can be rough kind of men. Brother, well, that's just the way I am. That's not the way she is. And he didn't tell you to love her like you want to love her. He says you love her the way she needs and desires to be loved. I mean, if your wife is allergic to roses and you decide, you know, I'm going to bless my wife and you bring her home roses. Here you go, honey. What kind of love? You say, well, roses are my favorite. It's not about us, is it? It's about her. So we pursue her. We love her. Men, set your gaze on your wife literally. We are, now we know scientifically in all kinds of ways that men, we are, our eyes, our eyes can get us in trouble. All you do is ask King David. Our eyes can get us in trouble, but our eyes, you know, and, and the Bible says to set your gaze on Jesus. To set our gaze. So men, whatever we lock our gaze on, it's very important. That's why, that's why pornography and stuff is so lethal. Because it, it, it catches our gaze. And so, men, I'm challenging you. Set your gaze on your wife. I mean, stare at her. I'm giving you permission. So when she says, what are you doing? What am I? I'm doing what Pastor CJ said. <laughs> I'm doing my homework. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. If it gets a little uncomfortable because of the way I'm talking, you'll get over it, okay? We want our kids to be secure. That's what we're talking about. I mean, set your gaze on her, stare at her, make eyes over her, let her know that you're looking at her, and just let you know you're so beautiful. I love you so much. But here's why. You set your gaze on her. You feel your thoughts with your wife. Then when you go to work or you go wherever, that's what you can daydream about. You have permission to do that. You guys understand what I'm saying? Because, see, if we're not filling our, our eyes with our wife then what can typically take her place? The airbrush stuff. Talk to yourself and think about her often. Here's what I mean. See, because here's what we do. You know that, that self-talk? Like, you know, if you do something dumb, like, like you, you make a mistake or whatever, you say, man, you idiot, why can't, you know, you talk to yourself in that negative way, which is dumb, by the way. That is not partnering with him. That's partnering with him. So when you do that self-talk, make sure it's what the Holy Spirit would agree with. And then you're allowed to do that. But when you're talking about your wife, and I, I encourage you to intentionally do this, talk about her, mutter about her. Man, she's wonderful. I can't believe that God blessed me with such a woman like this. And you just, you just basically meditate on her quality, her good qualities. See, what we tend to do is meditate on what she didn't do last night that I asked her to do or what she forgot to do yesterday or last week, and we're meditating on her flaws and her character weaknesses. 
And then what that does is when you meditate on that, the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. When you think of your wife in light of that, that negativity, that's how you're seeing her. And then when you see her, even when she's not acting that way now, because your mind is full of her faults and everything, you're going to perceive her in that light. And then as soon as she messes up, aha, see there, you just prove that's the way you are. And you're destroying your relationship with your wife because of, of how you're thinking about her and how you're meditating and muttering. So I encourage you to speak of your wife. Talk about her to yourself. How amazing, how wonderful, how beautiful she is. Does that make sense? Here's something. I don't know how long I've been doing this. Maybe several months. But I feel like the Lord challenged me to do this. It's a simple thing. I've been married for over 26 years now. Yeah, I got married when I was two. And I believe in arranged marriages. But what I started doing, uh, and I felt like the Lord just gave me this idea, and so I ran with it. I opened the door for my wife all the time. And if she reaches for a door, she gets in trouble. And now it's getting to the, the, to the point where the other day she got to the van before I did, and Benjamin happened to be there, and Lisa, I guess, was reaching for the door, and Benjamin got on to her. <laughs> Said, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and here's why I'm doing that. One, okay, I've caught the prize. I've got the girl for 26 years. She's still worth pursuing. I'm showing her, you are valuable. Every time I do this, open this door for you, it reminds me of how precious you are, and it reminds you that's how I see you. And because I have a son and daughter, uh, a younger son and daughter, I'm training the son, son, this is how you treat a lady. And daughter, this is how a man will treat you. If he doesn't, he and I are going to talk. See, but, but it's training them up in a way that, okay, this is how this should be done. So Benjamin knows, oh, when he has a wife someday, this is how you're supposed to treat her. You love her. You cherish her. Just practical little things. Now, opening the door for your wife is not going to save your marriage, but it will strengthen your marriage. Amen? So some practical things. Date your wives. Here's one thing that the Lord showed me, especially when we were going through the season. Those of you who don't know, I have six chill, chillins. I have six chillins. <laughs> chillins, six of them. Four of them are adults, and two of them are non-adults or sub-adults or, or pre-adults, whatever. They're kids. And, but there was a time when, so we had four little ones in the home at once. Lisa had four little boys, boys, emphasis on boys, that she was taking care of. And so uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. She's a partner in ministry with me. We were youth pastors back in the day. Stay-at-home mom. And so her full time, she was taking care of kids, changing diapers, doing all that kind of stuff. And the Lord challenged me because here I am, being a youth pastor, being a leader in the church, had all these wonderful opportunities to go hang out with the brothers. Brother, hey, man, can I take you out to lunch? Yeah. So we're going out to lunch, having a good time, and my wife's at home changing diapers. What she was okay with, but the fact that She's changing diapers day after day after day after day, taking little kids, and I'm hanging out, having a good time, ministering, of course, yeah. suffering for Jesus. And she's doing that hard task and not having opportunities to go out. And the Lord told me, he says, you need to give your wife opportunities 
where she can leave the kids with you. Leave the kids with who? Me? He said, yes, your kids. Men, your kids. Leave her kids with you, and she can just go out and not, not be accountable for any time. In other words, she goes until she wants to come home. My first thought was like, who's going to take care of the kids? <laughs> and that's when he said, oh, you mean your kids? Oh, yeah, I guess they are mine, aren't they? But what he challenged me to do was to make sure, and especially like if someone took me out for lunch or I had an opportunity to go out to eat lunch, I would make sure she had the opportunity to say, hey, honey, why don't you go out for lunch? Take a girlfriend and go out to lunch, or why don't you just leave the house? I got the kids. You go. And it was so amazing because she would just go out. Sometimes she'd go and go for long hours. Sometimes she'd go for an hour and come back. Like, why are you back so soon? I'm, I'm good. I just want to come and be with you. And you gave me money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but here, here's the crazy, the interesting thing that, that happened in the dynamic. When she came home, she was a different woman. She was energized, she was revived, she was encouraged, and she was ready to continue doing what she did. But if she wasn't given those opportunities, she would get discouraged because she didn't have a lot of adult conversation because it was a lot of stop that, quit hitting him, don't kill him, get off the counter. You know, it was a lot of that. Lack of adult conversation, as she would tell me. So men, you need to allow and give your wife opportunities. Thus saith the Lord, give your wife opportunities to be away from you and your children so that she can just go out and do whatever and just let her get refreshed. Are you hearing me, guys? And the last thing, of course, on a practical note is brothers, date your wives often as often as you can. And it doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's like, man, we just don't have a lot of money. Believe me, we can understand that. Sometimes our date would be, we just go get in the van, we go to uh, McDonald's, and this is back when they had 25-cent ice cream cones. Remember that? Kids were like, ice cream was 25 cents? Really? So we'd go, we'd scrounge up 50 cents, and we'd go get two ice cream cones and go park and just talk. No, she would talk, and I would listen and nod. Yes, honey. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, brothers, date your wives. Pursue her. Let her know that she's your number one. And when you do that, not only are you encouraging and, and doing what the Lord has commanded you to do for your wife, but you are strengthening your children and, and, and allowing them to have all kinds of security in their hearts and their souls. Okay, so that's the first thing, warriors. And number two, the second thing, train your children with intentionality, getting a plan. And some of you say, well, wait a minute, that's my wife's job. I mean, I'm the one that goes out and, and gets the bacon, and I bring it home and she cooks it, and she's the one that takes care of the chillings and all that kind of stuff. I thought you might say that. So uh, if you can put up Ephesians 6.4. Do we have that scripture? What's the first word up there? Is that a Hebrew word for mom? I don't think it is. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Who's it talking to again? Could you put the amplified one up there? 
even gets better. It says, fathers, again, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admonition of the Lord. Who is he talking to again? Fathers. He's talking to fathers. And it's interesting because he doesn't say fathers and mothers. He's talking to fathers. And I believe he's talking to fathers specifically. Now, we know that women are, and this is my belief, women will inherently do that. They have that nurturing thing. They're going to train. They're going to, they're going to love on that kind of stuff. But fathers, we have to be reminded and encouraged and challenged. Oh, yeah, I, I need to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. So he calls out fathers and says, fathers, this is what I'm calling you to do. Saying, fathers, he's saying to us, sons, your sons and daughters need you to do this. They need you. It is imperative that you do this. And so, uh, brothers, you need to get on the same page as your wife and find a plan. You know, when you have kids and you think, well, we're Christians, we love Jesus, they're going to grow up in a Christian home and they're going to be okay. Because we go to church and we read the Bible every once in a while, we do all these good things, and because they're Christians, they're going to grow up and everything's going to be fine. If that were true, there would not be a such thing as PKs. You hear what I'm saying? And we all know what PKs, you know, the notorious, the preacher's kids. I don't have any of those, by the way. I got preacher's kids, but not preacher's kids. But it's not about just because they're in your home and you're a Christian and you love Jesus. And you can even worship Jesus all the time. That's not going to train your children. That's part of the training. Them being in that environment, that atmosphere... Yes, that's good because you don't want them to be in a different atmosphere. So that's good. But you have to be intentional in training your children. And men, we are the head of the home. So I believe we are responsible to lead the charge. That doesn't mean we can't delegate to our wives. That means we can't say, okay, I'm in charge. We're going to train our kids. What do we do, honey? That's okay to do. But we have to be intentional, and we have to be definitely active in training our kids. I remember years ago when my wife, we were, we were newly married, but we didn't, hadn't had any children yet. And I remember my wife went to help. There was a family in our church a um, long time ago, and she went to help them. They were moving, and I believe they had five kids. They had five kids. And so she went over there, and Lisa loved kids, and she wanted lots of kids. And I was like, slow down, woman. But she wanted kids and all that kind of stuff. So she was going over to help them. They had kids, and she wanted to help. She came home hours later bawling. She was crying. I'm like, what is wrong? She said, it was crazy. It was chaos. And then she said this, which startled me. She said, I don't know if I ever want to have kids. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> what we saw was this, this family, a lot of kids, it was chaos. There was no peace. They were going crazy. Just like you see on some of those TV shows. We have to call in nanny, you know, and bring in order and everything. But then sometime around there too, so she was devastated, didn't want to have kids. That's how she felt. But also at the same time, the Lord, um, we have a relationship with another family that was also a large family. And we went to their house, and it was peaceful. Number, quite a number of kids, 
very peaceful, not perfect, not without crying and conflict and everything, but it was a different atmosphere. They were living life, they were normal people, but there was more order. And not the fear kind of order because the dad's a taskmaster, and if you step out of line, I'm going to backhand you. Because, see, you can have peace being a tyrant. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an atmosphere of love, discipline, but love where the kids are not afraid of their dad, but they respect their dad. Go sit on his lap anytime they want to because they're not afraid of him. Because there's some kids who are afraid of their dad because if they sneeze or do something wrong, they're going to get hit. And I guarantee you, disciplining children like that can bring quietness in your home. But that's not peace. So I'm not talking about that. And that's not what this family had. Very loving home. But there was peace there. And it restored and encouraged us that, you know what? There is a possibility to have lots of kids and have peace in the home. But we just knew that there had to be a plan. And this one family, they, they were intentional in their training. So we found a plan that our church had offered. It was a, it was called parent, it was a parenting discipleship, 18 weeks long. Like, dang, come on now. Can we do the 30-minute version and just get on with it? And Lisa and I, because we decided, I mean, the Lord convicted me, challenged me. Now, by this time, we had, this is going back to, we had four little ones, Trey, Bryant, Joseph, and Grant. And so we, we began to be discipled. We began to give ourselves to older people. You know, it's funny because I keep saying older people, and now I'm one of them. <laughs> it's like, that ain't funny. But the people that were my age now, and I was younger. I was in my 20s. and We were in our 30s, I guess, 20s, late 20s and early 30s. And the people that we hung out with and were discipled by and learned from were people in their 40s and 50s who had, were, you know, who had raised children, who had made the mistakes, who had had successes. And instead of me having to make my own mistakes, because I did that anyway, but I, didn't have to, I was able to reduce them because I learned from them. And that's one thing I want to challenge you men, since I'm speaking to you men. Man, go after, find an older brother and learn. Say, I want to learn. I want to be the best father I can be. I want to be the best husband. And that's what I did. I, I was greedy. I mean, I would suck on these guys. I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best father. I was intentional. The Lord convicted me, and I, I, just, I just embraced that conviction and that call. He called me out, and I said, that's the kind of father I want to be. Because I heard of PKs, and I knew that I was called to full-time ministry. And I knew me, knowing how I am, I would have the tendency or propensity to create PKs through neglect and through whatever. But I knew that it would be easy for me to, to raise those kind of kids up. And it put the fear of God in me enough to say, God, I'm afraid of being left to me. I want your plan. And mainly, it was all about relationship. If you guys have ever heard that word before. And so that discipleship class, we began to take that 18 weeks. We did that between four and five times over the years. Four and five times, 18 weeks of pop. But we learned, and we learned, and we messed up. We made mistakes, but we learned, and we were becoming consistent. You know when that word, when it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children? 
You know one way you exasperate your kids or you can't exasperate your kids? When you're not consistent. In other words, if you're not training your children with a consistent pattern, on Monday, your kid's running around and screaming and hollering around. It may be okay. On Tuesday, you may not be in the mood for it. And so your child does the same thing he or she does, running around, screaming, and you're like, shut up and sit down. And then Wednesday, they're running around, and it's okay. And Saturday, you see what I mean? And it's like, wait, whoa, whoa. I don't know what, what kind of mood is dad in today, you know? Inconsistency. So we've got to develop a consistent plan. We were not perfect as parents. You can ask them to my kids that. But we were on the same page, and we were both heavily involved in training our kids at the time, four boys. And the result was that we could go places and people would enjoy our kids. Now, you tell me if you're going into a restaurant and then you see a family with four little boys coming in behind you, and you're thinking, oh, no. I better be seated on the other side of this restaurant. Because typically, especially boys, I know boys, I've seen boys, they're fun, they're rambunctious, they don't like to sit still. But because we had learned how to train, we could go to restaurants often. And I asked Lisa, I was trying to be conservative on this. I said 80%, and she said, yeah, it was, it's definitely more than that. Almost all the time. I'm not going to say all the time because I want to be more accurate. At least 80% of the time, we'd go to a restaurant with our four boys, and someone would say, someone would come to the table and say, wow, I sure enjoy watching your family. Wow, your kids are amazing. Every time we went to a restaurant, almost every time we went to a restaurant. Not because of our perfect parenting or our great parenting skills, but because we were intentional and we learned from older brothers and sisters. See, we didn't, you know, I came from a divorced home. She came from an intact home. So we're already on different playing fields, we realized we had to come up with a plan together. We came up with one, we walked through it together, and we began to learn things, and our boys were able to grow up in in an environment, a healthy environment, not perfect. There was chaos at times. I mean, even disciplined, trained boys can bring chaos. And what may, may be chaos to you can be peace to me. You know, I'm like, it's all good. And you're like, oh, my goodness, are they going to kill each other? You know? oh, it's all right. We got Band-Aids. That'll be good. And, you know, I remember one time we went to anybody, those of you who've been around Stillwater for a while, you remember Dairy Queen? Remember when Dairy Queen used to be here? Now, if you had kids, it was the happening place. Not because of their ice cream or their food, but because they had the biggest indoor playground. And so in the wintertime, because Burger King... That shouldn't have even been called a playground. That was a joke. You know that little bitty thing they had in there? But they had Dairy Queen. There's big, massive playgrounds. So when it was cold outside, you can go somewhere and let your kids play. So we'd go and get those dilly bars for 69 cents, you know, inexpensive. Everybody had a dilly bar, and the kids would just play on the playground, on the playground. And we can just hang out and have a good time. Now, how many of you have seen this scenario? You're in the playground, and the kids... and, and the lady's like, all right, Sally, it's time to come home. Come, come on now, we're leaving. No! 
Sally, it's time to come on. We're going home now. No. And then they say this. We're going to leave you, Sally. (laughs) Then you hear, bye. (laughs) Then it's, Sally, get out here right now. And then you hear, don't make me come up there after you. And me and Sally are both thinking, I'd love to see that. <laughs> Let's see you fit yourself up through that thing and get up to that, get that kid. And then you see this poor mom or dad just frustrated and they're turning purple and red and, you know, and just angry. And the kid, they're powerless because the kid's up top and they can't get to him. Now, when the kid gets down, life is over. <laughs> but for those moments, the kid is the king or queen. Like, hey, I got this. And you see that all the time, right? I mean, are we all familiar with those scenarios? And I remember because of what we were learning from our older brothers and sisters, we would take our kids to Dairy Queen, and we would see this scenario play out before us, and I would be so embarrassed. Really, I'd be embarrassed because here's what would happen typically. I'd say, Trey, Bryant, Joseph, Grant, yes, Dad, yes, Dad, yes, Dad, yes, Dad, five minutes. And then, after I got better, I set a timer. I didn't have iPhones back then. They weren't invented. But we set a timer. Five minutes. And then I'd say, okay, Trey, Bryant, Joseph Grant, time's up. Time to come on. Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. And they'd slide down the slide, and they'd come. They'd get their shoes on. And parents are just looking at us like we were from another planet. They're like, what the heck did you do? Practical, simple, not easy, but simple, instruction and training your kids. And we could take them places and not have to threaten to beat them to death. Now, I've threatened to beat them to death many times, but not. Never mind. We could, we could take them places. We could enjoy them. And we could have a great time as a family because we were consistent in training and learning. And I was very greedy to learn from our older brothers and sisters. Lisa logged in hours with Rosemary Kleckler hours on the phone with her, hours at her house or Rosemary at our house, learning, man, my kids, how do I do this? I mean, you can learn to have your kids sit quietly, sit quietly with you, two, three, four, five, six years old, quietly for for a long period of time. It's possible. In Jesus' name, it's possible. (laughs) So the point is, dads, we have to be intentional and come up with a plan to, and be very involved in training, training our kids. In training our kids. Now, I know I'm not going to have time to get to all four, so I'm going to... I'm going to say this real quickly. Number three, men, we have to deal with our own sin. We have to deal with our own sin. And typically among men, one of the most common, I mean, it's not like it's a surprise, but sexual sin, pornography, all that kind of stuff, we have to deal with that or it will destroy our families. All you have to do is ask King David. You remember what started his whole ordeal? He saw Bathsheba when he was actually supposed to be somewhere else, like out in war, being mighty like he is. He forgot who he was. He wasn't walking in his identity. Instead of being out in battle, he was up on a rooftop being bored. I mean, what happens when we get bored, typically? Never mind. Don't need to answer that. We get bored. Our minds start to wander. And all of a sudden, gaze. There she is. Boom. We know what happened with him and Bathsheba. 
and then to cover himself up, his sin, so his lustful sin wasn't taken care of. Then he had to cover it up, so he ended up committing murder. And then later on, he has a boy who lusts after her sister, and then he has another son who murders his brother. Sound familiar? The same sin that David committed happened with his sons. Judgment was brought on his family because of his sin. And here's the thing. God is gracious. He will forgive us. When we repent, he forgives us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the consequences are going to be eradicated. Because sometimes we think, well, I'll just ask God to forgive me. Okay, play that game. Ask David what happened. He was forgiven. He repented of the sin, and he was forgiven. But the, the prophet said, however, the sword will not leave your house. You're in trouble. Your family's in trouble. Now, we're not under the old covenant. There's more grace that we're living in. However, that doesn't mean we can play around with sin. And if we don't get it taken care of, it will take our families out. I mean, how many moms are devastated because of what their husbands are into? How many kids are devastated because of what their dads are into? Are we willing to face that giant? See, if, if anybody, now I know you men, if anybody were to come and, and threaten your family, you would be all up in their business saying, you have to get through me. Even if they were two, three times bigger than you, you say, you have to get through me. You may take me down, but it's not going to be pretty. And you'd be all in their face. It's time we get in the face of our sin and say, no, no, you cannot have me and you cannot have my family. And when you're struggling with that, now I'm not getting into how, how to overcome and all that kind of stuff. You need to come up with a plan. You need to get help. And the next time you're tempted, just think, if you can force your brain to think how this carried out to the worst case scenario, how it's going to impact your family. And then hopefully that'll put the fear of God in you and it'll push you back to sanity. We have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with it as a protection to our families, and so we can be the men and women of God that he's called us to be. And the last thing I'm going to go ahead and share, I'll share quickly. Dads, we must be warriors and deal with the hard issues with your kids. How many of us men are afraid to talk to our kids about sex? But let me ask you this. What is probably one of the most vital areas in their lives? And we're afraid to talk about it. Where do you think that fear comes from? I mean, this whole fear thing, this intimidation, comes from the enemy. Because if he can get us intimidated, intimidation leads to apathy or passivity. So then we're not doing anything, then the enemy's free to do his, do his stuff. If I'm not teaching my kids about sexuality, and you're not teaching your kids about sexuality, where are they going to learn it from? The locker rooms? TV? School, their phones. I mean, it's crazy. What's out there is crazy. And don't think that, well, we just won't talk about that so nothing will happen. It's time to come back from Disneyland. Because it's going to happen. They're going to find out. They're going to learn stuff. 
And probably to some of your, probably most of your surprise or a lot of your surprise, they already know, they already know about it. It's happening at earlier, younger and younger ages where information is, is getting in, whether that's at school or their friends. I'm a little six-year-old, what, Charlie or whatever, is saying stuff to your little boy, and it's like, Daddy, what's Like, whoa, dude, where'd you hear that from? Now, there are appropriate ages and appropriate ways to talk to your children as they get older. But men, we have to talk to our sons particularly, because now I have experience with sons. I'm learning daughters. I haven't done that yet. But I have many brothers who have plenty of daughters, and they can help you walk through that, how they walk through it with their daughters. And so my challenge and my encouragement to you, men, is figure out what to do and say, okay, we got to do this. I have some good ideas, something that I've done with all my kids. Me and my fifth son, I forgot how many I have. My fifth son, we're going through it right now. I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you want to know, you've got to ask me. You've got to seek me out. But men, here's the deal. We have to deal with those scary topics with our kids. We have to. As scary as it is, when I first started with Trey, I was terrified. I was nervous. I was trying to avoid it. But then we finally did it. We went and sat down, and I fumbled over my words, and I stuttered, and I did all that kind of stuff. And now me and Benjamin are giggling. Because you get a little used to it. The more you talk about it, the more comfortable you get. When you realize sexuality is not bad, it's a gift from God, it's just been perverted. And our kids need to understand that. That sex is not dirty, but it's a gift. We have to teach them that or they are going to learn the bad stuff. Are you with me? Okay, there's a lot more I was going to say, but I ain't because I ran out of time. But brothers, the Lord is calling you. Not calling you out so he can say, look, this is what you're supposed to be doing. He's saying, son, I want to remind you of your identity. You are a mighty warrior. You are powerful. You are victorious. He's got plans and ideas, strategies for you. He wants you to partner with him intentionally and let him lead you. Many of the ideas, most, almost all the ideas that I got had to come from him or my wife. Can you put a picture? Can you put that picture up there on East? I'm going to close with this. Now, that's a current picture of my two oldest. <laughs> they haven't grown much. But that's Trey and Bryant, my two oldest. Trey is 24, and Bryant's almost 23. He'll be 23 next month. And that, on that day, uh, I found out from Lisa... I forgot the circumstances. We had been iced out. We had an ice storm, so church was canceled. Church was canceled here at NCF. Well, it wasn't canceled in the Ellis home. And so what we had been doing with the boys, just different things, getting in the Word, and just things we did as a family. I said, all right, guys, you're up. We need the Word. And so they went and got their suits on. <laughs> and then they both took turns preaching the Word. I have no idea what they said, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. But here's the thing. The things, the ideas 
that we did, that I did. Those of you who have been around a long time, you remember my, my goofy little movies that I would do? There'd be sermon illustrations. I'd make these little movies. My boys would be the main actors and the cast in the movies. Do you know what two of them are doing right now and what their passion is? Producing movies, acting, being involved in that industry for the kingdom. And they're very serious about the kingdom, not just the, oh, we're doing this for Jesus, and it'd be just the, they're serious about it. How did I know that back then the things that I was doing with them was creating and preparing them for what God had for them in the future? Remember one time Lisa had an assignment that she had for the boys. It was they were learning the word attentiveness. And that was, and Lisa said, you need to give Trey an assignment. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to. So I had to come up with an idea. And I said, okay, son, write me a story, a creative story, using to teach what attentiveness means. And Trey asked me a couple of years, he said, dad, you remember when you gave me that assignment about attentiveness? I'm like, uh, no, not really. He said, well, you, and he told me the story. And then he showed me the story. I read the story a couple of years ago that he wrote 15 years ago, maybe. And I read this, and I'm like, dang, dude. Very creative, very wonderful. Well, guess what his gifting is? Writing. Guess what he does? He writes. All these crazy things. Some of you have heard Bryant preach. The rest of you will probably get to hear Trey preach next week. But here's the thing I want to encourage you men with. Your kids and your wife need you like nobody's business. They need you. We have no idea how God wants to use us to shape and mold our children and encourage them and give them vision. I mean, I have a kid, boy, he's a young man. I have a, his pastime, his hobby is worship. It's like, seriously, come on. <laughs> Who does that? My son does. You think that makes me proud? Heck yeah, it makes me proud. In the right kind of way, not the wrong way. But brothers, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You are so important. You are so valuable, and your children need you. And the cool thing is they want you. It's not like they have to put up with you. They want their daddy. They really want their daddy. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to close your eyes with me. In whatever area, as, as I've been sharing today, if there's a particular area that you feel the Holy Spirit highlighting in your heart, that you feel like he's calling you to move forward in this particular area. And this isn't just for, for fi biological fathers, but for men. There's a particular area Holy Spirit's highlighting and wanting to give you grace for. If you get something, then I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I want to pray for you. So if you get something that you're repenting of or needing God's grace or you feel like, Lord, I'm going to accept your invitation in this particular area, then I want you to stand up. Lord, I'm so grateful that you're so passionate about us, that you are the wonderful, loving Father. You are an incredible example to us. And you make your grace available, which empowers us to join you on the journey and to walk powerfully in our calling. You've equipped us as fathers, as husbands, as men 
men. And Lord, right now, I just thank you for releasing grace on these brothers, releasing grace on them. That's going to enable them to win. And I thank you for giving wisdom. You said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask you who give generously. I thank you for giving them wisdom as to how to move forward. And I just bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. I just release and speak your blessing over them, their home, their families, their marriages. And we thank you for your goodness. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. If all of you would stand with me, please. Father, we thank you for this amazing day that we're reminded of our good Father who's wonderful. And Lord, I just pray that today will be full of peace for everyone here, every family represented, that there will just be peace, there will be enjoyment of each other, there will be encouragement as we just move forward, as we advance your kingdom together and individually in our families. And I thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We honor you and we give you blessing and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 